Turn with me once again to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, this sermon that I'm going to preach to you today with the help of the Lord is a, a product of my bivocational ministry. What I mean by that is that this is a message that I uh, prepared for a conference that I've been asked to speak at, and as I was uh, looking over it and uh, considering it, it dawned on me that this would be very helpful, I believe, for us here this morning. Uh, so I want to present this to you, and you know, it is our custom, as I've been expositing through the book of 1 Corinthians, when I finish a chapter, usually I'll take a Lord's Day or two uh, to, to consider some other things and look at some other texts before jumping back into that epistle, especially uh, as we now get into the, the parts of 1 Corinthians that are a little bit more topical and we get bogged down in some some more intricate subjects like the Christian theology of the body and so on and so forth, before we just jump right into chapter 7 on singleness and marriage and all of these different things, I thought it might be good for us to take a step back and consider some of the foundational truths of Christianity. And that is what this text presents. I'm going to preach to you this morning on the sufficiency of Scripture alone. The sufficiency of Scripture alone. I'm going to begin reading... 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verses 14 to the end of the chapter. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, these are the words of God. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. In the early decades of the 1500s, it was illegal to own or produce a Bible in England. Those who did so would be condemned by the Catholic Church and burned at the stake. In the year 1519, God saved a man by the name of William Tyndale. Tyndale surveyed the perversions and heresies of Roman Catholicism, and he concluded that all of England sat in a place of spiritual darkness. He believed that the gospel would never flourish in England unless the people had access to the word of God in their own language. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. By 1522, Tyndale made it his life's mission to produce a Bible in English. And he famously remarked, If God spares my life, I will cause a plowboy in the field to know more of the scriptures than the Pope of Rome. Tyndale left England and went into hiding for the next 12 years. And there in his his cave, in his hideout, by the light of a candle, he taught himself the biblical languages supplemented by his college education. And he began the criminal act of translating the scriptures into the English language. He was the first man ever to translate the Bible into English from Greek and Hebrew. Finally, in the year 1534, he printed an English translation of the New Testament. This made him public enemy number one of the Roman Catholic Church. Catholic priests preached against his New Testament... Roman Catholicism taught that the common man ought not have the Bible because the common man cannot understand the Bible. A priest must interpret it. A priest must tell him what God has said. But you cannot. It is detrimental to your own soul to see what God has said for yourself. They publicly burned the English scriptures to scare off anyone who would try to obtain a copy. But they could not stop what the Spirit was doing in the hearts of those who read God's Word for the first time in a language they could understand. In 1535, a large manhunt was underway to find that criminal evangelist and Bible translator, William Tyndale. He was finally captured, and in the year 1536, he was tried, 
As our Lord was tried, he first went through a religious trial and then a civil trial. He was condemned a heretic. He was tied to the stake. He was set on fire and a chain was wrapped around his neck and his life would be strangled from him. And after he died, his body was surrounded with gunpowder and they blew up the carcass of William Tyndale. But just before that chain was sensed into his neck, his dying words were recorded for us as he said, Oh God, open the eyes of the King of England. Brothers and sisters, we are here today with a perfectly preserved, inerrant copy of God's word in the English language because God answered the prayer of William Tyndale. And now as we look to the text before us in 2 Timothy, I want the conviction of William Tyndale to become our conviction. This text emphatically lays before us the sufficiency of Scripture alone. Private revelations, dreams and visions, church traditions, cultural customs, none of these things provide us with any sure word of truth. None of these things give us an infallible knowledge of God. None of these things supply us with the requirements of saving faith in Jesus Christ. If these things are all that we have, we are of all men most miserable. If all we have is a priest to tell us what he thinks God is saying, we have nothing. But thanks be unto God, this is not all that we have. We have the Word of God. God has written us a book containing his entire counsel and his complete revelation. He has kept his word pure in all ages. He has preserved that word and he has delivered it unto us. And the scripture alone is sufficient to do what nothing else can do. The scripture alone teaches us all that we need to know about who God is. The scripture alone teaches us all that we need to know about what the gospel is. The scripture alone teaches us all that we need to know about the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture alone teaches us all that we need to know about saving faith in Christ. The scripture alone teaches us all that we need to know about how to live the Christian life. All that we need to know about what God has done for His people, given to His people, said to His people, requires for His people, and has planned for His people is found in the pages of Holy Scripture. If you don't have a Bible, you have nothing. But if you have God's Word, you have all that you could ever need. The Bible sitting in your lap exceeds the riches of this world and all the wisdom of man, and all the knowledge under heaven. This text in 2 Timothy sets forth the word of God as the foundation for the Christian religion. Think of the word of God as you might think of, of an ancient building in Rome. You have the, the pillars that support that building, and if there is a crack in those pillars, the whole building comes tumbling down. That is what the scriptures are for Christians. Everything we believe and practice that is true and right must be upheld by the Bible. If we lose the foundation, we lose everything. If the Bible ever ceases to be our ultimate rule and authority, we will quickly degenerate it towards heresy, perversion, and corruption. I want you to see what's at stake. I want you to understand the importance of this issue. This is not... A light issue over which we are free to disagree. This is a hill to die on. William Tyndale died on this hill. This is the difference between following what God has said and following a lie. So may you be encouraged this morning to know that God has given you his complete, perfect, and all-sufficient word. But may you also be challenged because it is one thing to say that you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture... But it is yet another thing to live your life by the sufficiency of Scripture. Before I go any further, let me give you a, a definition to work with when I talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. What, what am I talking about? Sufficiency means that the Word of God 
contained everything God's people needed at each stage of redemptive history. What does that mean? That means the word of God, we know, was given progressively throughout the ages until the final completion of it with the, with the canon of Scripture. But in every age, God's people had all that they needed until God was pleased to give more revelation. And it now contains everything we need for knowing God and obeying Him. Everything you could ever need as a Christian is contained in the Bible. The sufficiency of Scripture means that you will never have a problem in life that the Scriptures cannot answer. The Scripture is sufficient for you to be a godly husband. The Scripture is sufficient for you to be a godly wife. The Scripture is sufficient for you to be a godly parent. The Scripture is sufficient for you to be a godly child. The Scripture is sufficient for you to be a godly church member. The Scripture is sufficient for you to be a godly friend. The sufficiency of Scripture especially applies to men who are called to the ministry. Uh, That is who I will be addressing primarily when I preach this message coming up at a a conference. I'll be speaking to uh, 20 to 30 pastors and ministers and their families and their churches. And what we must understand is that the Scripture is sufficient for all of our pastoral duties. I, I do not need anything else other than the Scriptures to faithfully perform what God has called me to. The Scripture is sufficient for every counseling session. The Scripture is sufficient for every case of church discipline. The Scripture is sufficient for every sermon. The sufficiency of Scripture means that we ought not to begin a sermon with our thoughts and our opinions and then use a smattering of -of out-of-context Bible verses to prove our point. I do not, in my sermon prep, I do not think, what do I think the people need this Sunday? And then once I have determined what the people need, then I go to the Bible to find some verses to support the point that I'm trying to make. May our sermons begin with the Scripture, may they end with the Scripture, and may they contain nothing apart from faithful interpretation and application of that Scripture. This is Paul's exhortation to young Timothy in chapters 3 and 4. And for the remainder of our time now, we're going to look exclusively at Paul's statement here at the end of chapter 3. So far, we've, we've, we've been on the front porch. Now we're going to go into the house, and I want us to dive into this text and remain there. This text demonstrates the sufficiency of Scripture as it reveals four indispensable pillars to the Christian faith that we would not have without the Bible. That's how I'm going to break down verses 14 through 17. I'm going to give you four things that we would not have without the Bible. So let us look at the first of these pillars from verse 14. Without the Scripture, we would have, firstly, no direction. No direction. Look at verse 14. Paul says, But continue thou. Now, we're picking up mid-thought. Okay, we're picking up mid-thought. Paul says, but continue thou. What is the thought that Paul is is transitioning from? Well, in chapter 3, Paul is warning Timothy of the perilous times that he would endure in the gospel ministry. That is what the, the beginning of this chapter is all about. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And I say that to urge you not to make the common mistake uh, while you are reading this passage and thinking that it refers to something that God's people have never experienced before 2022. In our day, preachers like to preach chapter 3 and they like to say that in the last days perilous times shall come and we've just now arrived to that time. And it's easy for us to read this chapter's description of fallen society and conclude that it is It is speaking about where we are living right now and what we're going through as the church in modern America. And you know, I don't argue with you that that it is speaking of what we're going through, but this is not something that is unique to us. This is characteristic of every society in every age. Timothy experienced perilous times in the last days. What are the last days? Theologically, the last days are the days uh, preceding the first advent of Christ Before the second advent of Christ. So we are in the last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. We might be in the last days for another 2,000. We might not be. But we are in the last days. And in the last days, perilous times 
will come. They have come. They are coming. They are here. They will continue to come. This is descriptive of any society without Christ as its Lord, because apart from the gospel, all men and all societies in every age are perilous. Yet in every perilous society, God reserves for himself a holy remnant. And this chapter tells us how we, to, how we are to live in the midst of perilous times. What does God give to that remnant in perilous times to sustain them, to further them, to care for them, to nurture them? What does he give them to uphold themselves in the midst of perilous times? Well, he says, but continue thou. We are not to go the way of the world. We are not to chase after its evils. We are not to pursue its lusts and its desires. We are not to believe its lies. We are to continue. But in order to continue, we must have a clear and unwavering direction. What direction does God want us to continue in? He wants us to continue in the things which thou or which we have learned and have been assured of. The things that we have learned and been assured of. Christian, you're not to be uh, cast about like a paper in the wind, chasing after every newfangled philosophy and idea. You are to be rooted and grounded in God's word, in the, the truths that he has always given to his people, and you're to continue in those things, no matter what goes on outside, no matter what goes on in the world, no matter what even goes on under the name of Christianity, if it's not according to this word, you are not to follow it, you are to continue. History doesn't define our doctrine. I know we have a large emphasis on it. We read confessions from the 1600s and catechisms from the 1600s, and I'm quoting men that have been dead for centuries quite frequently. But history does not define our doctrine. However, if a large portion of Christians have been practicing something or believing something for the greater part of 1900 years, I believe we ought to be very cautious before we just throw it out willy-nilly and replace it with something that is relatively new in the history of the church. If you are believing something and you cannot find a single Christian witness to agree with you on it for the last 2,000 years of church history, chances are it's not true. It's just a general rule. Continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Paul says to Timothy, when you face perilous times... Don't become like the world. Don't live like they live. Timothy, you are to continue in the things which you have learned, no matter the opposition that you face. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Paul no doubt intends himself, uh, as well as Timothy's mother and grandmother. That's who, Paul, or that's who Timothy learned these things from. Paul, but also his grandmother and his, and his mother. Now the question becomes, well, how did Timothy learn these things? Is Paul exhorting Timothy to follow after traditions? Uh, is Paul exhorting Timothy to follow after just his own independent ideas? You know, how, how many of us, we say, well, I do it this way because that's what my dad said, right? Is that all Paul is telling him to do? Well, verse 15 clearly gives us the answer to that question. Because he says in that, from a child, thou hast known the traditions of the church. No. Uh, from a child thou hast known the cultural habits of a Jew. No, that's, that's not what he says, is it? From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Timothy, continue in the things that you've learned. Remember where you learned them. You learned them from scripture. Continue, Timothy, in those things. Timothy was to continue in the things that he learned from the Holy Scriptures. Paul was not urging Timothy merely to continue in church traditions or in Paul's own private interpretations and revelations. Timothy was to continue in what he learned from the Bible. And that means that we are required and we have the ability to obey the same command today. The doctrines of the gospel, the teachings of Christ, the way of salvation as it is given to us through the Bible. No matter what opposition Timothy faced, the scripture would be sufficient for him. And we must live and die by the same conviction today. 
Paul did not say to Timothy, now, Timothy, I know you've learned a lot of things from the Bible, but perilous times are coming and the Bible's not going to be enough. You need something else. Uh, you need to, to follow after a, a prophecy guru and go to a seminar that will impart to you some wisdom that the Bible cannot offer you. Timothy was not told that. Timothy was told, you already have everything you need to live the Christian life. You already have it. It's in your hand. It's the Holy Scriptures. Continue in that. We must be steadfast and immovable in our fidelity to the Word of God, believing that no matter what happens in this world, if we remain faithful to this book, if we obey what it says, we will have everything we need to serve God, and God will be pleased with us. We dishonor God when we underestimate the power of His Word. We speak of the evils in society as if they're just too much for God to overcome. I'm tired of hearing sermon after sermon about how bad things are getting in the world. You know, politics are going down the tubes, the economy's crashing, uh, iniquity is rising, immorality is on the rise. Here's a newsflash for you. The, the, the heart of fallen man is just as totally depraved as it was the moment Adam partook of the fruit. Man is not becoming more and more evil, but perhaps technology and social media allows us to see the wickedness of man more prevalently, but I don't believe the heart of man is any more wicked. God's people ministering amidst an evil society. Churches being planted in such fallen cultures. That's nothing new either. We've seen that in 1 Corinthians. The kind of society that God planted a church in. No, we don't need to be reminded of the evils of this world. I don't have to tell you that, that there are a lot of evils even here in Henry County. It's apparent to us. But what we do need to be reminded of is the power of God as He speaks in His Word. Do we really believe that this book, the Word of God, if it is attended and accompanied by the Spirit, can overcome those evils? All throughout the history of the church, God's people have combated the sins and iniquities and lies of perilous times by the power of the Word of God. Remember, Christian, that the Word of God is quick and powerful. Remember that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Remember that the Word of God never returns void. Remember that the Word of God always accomplishes the pleasure of the Lord. No matter what we face as God's people, His Word never fails to give us guidance and direction that we may perseverantly serve Christ until He returns. You look around at the world, you say, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to overcome all of these things that I'm experiencing. Follow the Word of God and you will not be led astray. Say with the psalmist, Psalm 119 Verse 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But friend, without the Bible, we have no direction. Without the Bible, you are left wondering, what would God have me to do? Without the Bible, you are, you are, uh, you are like that sheet in the wind, being blown to and fro. You have no stability. You have no internal system of navigation. The word of God, let it be a compass unto you. And as it points you in this direction or that direction, follow it. Follow it. But secondly, without the Word of God, without the Scripture, we have no deliverance. We have no deliverance. Notice at the end of verse 15, Paul says, the Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The scriptures alone are sufficient for a saving knowledge of God. The natural man cannot receive the things of God. His mind and his will, his senses, his affections, they are all in bondage to sin. It, it amazes me in church history that really we do not have new theological controversies. Uh, what we actually do is we just... Every few hundred years, we have to rehash out the same controversies that were hashed out in previous years. And as I look at this, and as I, I think about the, the uh, contradiction or the, the, the fight between those who would defend the, the imperative of the Scriptures for salvation and others, I'm reminded of the uh, 
Pelagian controversy, even back in as far back as the 5th century, where the, the old heretic Pelagius said that the heart of man is naturally good. He does not need divine revelation. He can save himself as long as he follows his conscience. Well, following his conscience is what got the human race into this mess. We cannot save ourselves. Uh, Yes, the heavens declare the glory of God, but they do not communicate a sufficient knowledge for salvation. God must speak directly to us. And when the Holy Spirit accompanies the word, that fallen man is regenerated and he is made wise unto salvation. 1 Peter 1 and verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. God saves his people with the washing of water by the word. That's what Titus says to us. But brothers and sisters, where there is no scripture, there is no salvation. The power of salvation is not in the church. It's not in the preacher. It's not in the ordinances. The power of salvation is in the word of God. And the church is a place where the word is to be ministered to the people. The preacher is one who is to declare the word. I I am thrilled when when saints are encouraged by by my preaching. Uh, There is perhaps no greater blessing in the ministry of a preacher than when God converts someone as you are preaching. I I can say that I've experienced that. And it, it is a wonderful thing to experience as a preacher. But let me be the first to tell you that that had nothing to do with me. That was God using His Word. I was simply the mouthpiece. I was simply the, in, the instrument. The preachers, one who has to declare the Word, the ordinances, baptism, the Lord's Supper, they are visible portrayals of the Word. But if you remove the Word, they're nothing more than empty signs. They are all meant, the church, the ordinances, the preacher, they're all meant to magnify the Word, but none of them can do what the Word alone accomplishes. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Roman Catholicism said that salvation comes by the word plus the church, plus the sacraments, plus the the rosary, plus the prayers to Mary and the saints, plus the indulgences, plus the penance. But but Baptists and other dissenters streaming from the, the Puritan tradition have always contended that the knowledge of salvation comes from the Word alone. It was the clarion call of sola scriptura that led a generation of believers back to the truths of the gospel. Because, yes, we believe that, that, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Sola fide, sola gratia, sola Christus, sola Deo gloria. But, but do you know where we learned all of these things? From the scriptures. So then sola scriptura is the foundation upon which all of these pillars rest. And if you add anything to the word, then you actually are detracting from the power of the word. If you believe that that it must be the word plus the church, I've met even Baptists, they call themselves Baptists, I I cannot recognize them historically under under that title, who have taken Romans 10 and so twisted it to say, Well, faith cometh by hearing and the hearing by the word of God, but how shall he hear without a preacher? And they have so twisted it to say that uh, no one can be saved unless he hears the gospel preached from the word by an ordained Baptist preacher. Well, that's no better than Roman Catholicism. That's just a Baptist version of popery to believe that. I, as a preacher, must understand that the Word does not need me to accomplish its purpose, but I desperately need the Word if I'm going to accomplish my purpose. This is why we contend, by the way, for the imperative of missions and evangelism. Because whether it's through preaching, whether it's through reading, whether it's through hearing, if sinners are to be saved, they must receive the Word. I fully support endeavors to translate the scriptures into languages uh, that they do not yet exist. I have a dear brother in England right now, he, but he's, he's Iranian by descent. His name is Puyan Mershai. Look him up online. And, and he is right now translating the New Testament into Farsi to reach 
uh, Muslims in England. Because he understands if I can't get the word into their hands, I have no hope of, of any kind of longevity in the ministry. William Carey, when he went to England, one of my favorite Baptist missionaries of the 1700s, when he went to England, he learned Bengali, he taught himself Bengali, translated the Bible into Bengali, and before the end of his life, you know, India is a land with many languages. Uh, think about it this way. Imagine if every state, or, or in some of the bigger states, every portion of the state had a national language and also a regional language. So he, he translated the Bible into over 40 different dialects before the end of his ministry. Because he, he believed that the word was essential for the salvation of sinners. There are churches in India today started by William Carey and some of his colleagues that still exist today. Now, he might have been able to preach the word through an interpreter and he might have been able to, to see a convert or two, but he knew that if he was going to have a lasting ministry, because he, he would die. He would live and he would die. But if the ministry was to go on longer than his own physical life, they had to have the word of God. Because the words of man will fade away, but the word of God endures forever. So he says, verse 15, the scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. See, scripture is sufficient for salvation because it points to Christ. Christ is the theme of the Bible. Christ could not be known apart from the written word of God. In Luke 24, do you remember the story after the resurrection of Christ? Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and he meets these two disciples. And the Bible says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Beginning at Moses. Where are we at in our church Bible reading plan right now? Are we not in the middle of Leviticus? And we read some of those chapters you know, and we, we read about the, the, the brass lavers and the, the golden door handles and the tent. We say, how could any of this be profitable to me? It speaks of Christ in pictures and shadows and figures. And yes, there are other portions of Scripture which are much more clear. And we should use those clear portions to interpret and shed light upon those unclear portions. But you must remember that you are not just reading about the construction of a building in ancient Israel. You're reading about God. If you want to know Christ, you must look no further than the Bible that is in front of you. Jesus is not hiding from you. Jesus is not hard to find. He's right there in the Word. He's right there in front of you. Every book, every chapter, every verse, there are things for us to learn about Christ. And if we are ignorant of Jesus, it is not because He has failed to reveal Himself but because we have failed to diligently search the scriptures and learn of him. That's the truth. Without the word, we would know nothing of him. Without him, there would be no salvation. Lost people do not need our gimmicks. They do not need our tricks. They don't need to be entertained. Uh, they do not need scare tactics as if we could talk them into making some decision. They need the word. And the word alone is sufficient for salvation. Thirdly, without the scripture, we would have no doctrine. We would have no doctrine. Look at verse 16. All scripture. This is a, this is a mountain peak verse, by the way. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. This word inspiration, I don't often quote the Greek because none of us know Greek, right? But it, it helps in this instance. It's the Greek word theonoustos, which literally means God's breath, the breath of God. Inspiration literally means to be breathed out. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. That's what this, this verse is saying to you. Notice that inspiration is attributed to all Scripture and only Scripture. All 66 books, all 1,189 chapters, all 31,102 verses, every jot, every tittle, 
is inspired by God. The scriptures alone are inspired. Your private revelations are not inspired. Your dreams and your visions are not inspired. Your prophecies are not inspired. Your tongues are not inspired. God speaks in His Word. As Justin Peter says, if you want to hear the voice of God, read your Bible. And if you want to hear the voice of God audibly, read your Bible out loud. But don't bring your thus saith the Lord if it is not found in chapter and verse. What God told me is no substitute for the Bible says. Can God give you personal leadings and directions? I believe that he can. But those are not to be viewed as divine inspiration that God has given you with authoritative certainty. Those are given to you as illuminations of the revelation that he's already given you. The author of the book of Hebrews could not make this any more clear when he says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. See, there was a time before the canon of Scripture was complete when God's people were dependent upon the one-off prophecies of a prophet uh, through individual dreams that had to be interpreted. But such revelations ceased through the finality of Scripture. And by the way, what we have now is far better. It is far better. Sometimes we sit and we think, Man, it must have been so cool to be alive during Isaiah's time and to to be going about your day and then here comes the prophet of God and he walks to the marketplace and he stands up and he says, Thus saith the Lord, and he he gives a revelation. It must have been amazing to have witnessed that. Do you realize that what we have today is far better? Because we are not dependent upon waiting per adventure that that God might send a prophet. And by the way, do you understand that those times of prophecy were actually relatively short? We read the Old Testament and it just looks like there was just prophesying left and right, prophesying left and right, but that's not the case. There was a a great source of prophecy and, and miracles that attested that prophecy in the ministry of Moses. But then after the Israelites got into the land, there was relatively nothing for centuries until God began raising up men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. And that was only, again, for a short period of time, right before the captivity, during the captivity, and right after the captivity. And after Malachi was done, there was 400 years with no prophetic word before the Lord Jesus Christ entered onto the scene. Brothers and sisters, we on this side of Calvary have something that is far better. We are not dependent that peradventure God would send a prophet to give us a 30-second revelation. We have the full and complete revelation of God. It is accessible to us 24-7. We can open it whenever we please. We can read whatever we desire. God has given us the totality of His Word. Everything we believe about who God is and what God teaches and what God requires and what God has done And what God will do must come from this book. It must. And we must hold fast to that. Lest we be far away from the safety of the seashore, out in the ocean, cast about by every wave and every new prophet that comes along and says, I have heard from God. Notice he says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, And is profitable. That means it is useful. The scripture alone is sufficient and useful for these things. What are they? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. These four items encompass the whole of a faithful preaching and teaching ministry. Doctrine. The scriptures present the truth of God. Reproof. The scriptures reveal when we err from that truth. Correction. The scripture directs us back to the truth. And instruction. The scripture keeps us in the truth. Do you see how these nouns have a logical progression in our lives? To state it plainly, the scripture tells us what is right, when we're not right, how to get right, 
and how to stay right. God has made the Christian life very simple for us. He has not made it complicated. He has said, here's the truth, walk in it. And the scripture is the fountainhead from which all true doctrine flows. Do you believe that? Well, here's how you can find out. Ask yourself why you believe the things that you believe. Take any any particular conviction that you hold near and dear. Do you believe that because that's just how your church does it? Uh, Do you believe that because that's what the preacher says to you? Do you believe that because that's what you've heard all your life? May it never be amongst God's people. Our theology must not come from our whims or our feelings or our affections, but from the Word of God. Our beliefs must be formed by Holy Writ because the law of the Lord is perfect. The Bible is not the suggestions of the Lord or the recommendations of the Lord or the advice of the Lord. It is the law of the Lord and it is binding upon all men in all ages. And if it's not in the Bible, we ought not believe it. But if it is in the Bible, we must believe it. The church does not determine what the Bible teaches. The Bible determines what the church teaches. We must humble ourselves before the Word, and we must let it speak for itself. Charles Spurgeon was once asked about defending the Bible uh, because he ministered in the midst of the downgrade controversy in the 1800s, and there were many in his days that were saying, the Bible's not inspired, Uh, the Bible's not fully God's Word, the Bible is corrupt, the Bible is just a storybook, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, denigrating the Word of God. And someone asked Spurgeon, what do you think the best defense is for the Bible? And Spurgeon says, the Bible needs no defense. It is like a lion. Just unleash it and let it out of the cage, and it will defend itself. Don't bridle the voice of God by twisting and manipulating the word to justify your own opinions. This is a big book. And you can, with, with not much effort, cherry pick it and manipulate it to make it say whatever you want it to say. So you must endeavor, as you are letting the Bible speak for itself, that you let the Bible speak in context. Not only should you let the Bible say what it says, but you need to, to let it say what it truly means. And when we exalt our traditions and our convictions above the word and we superimpose our own thoughts onto the word, we are no better than the Pope himself. We are no better than the very religious system that William Tyndale gave his life to circumvent. The Bible is not hard to understand. It's hard to swallow. Because if I'm committed to the supremacy of Scripture then when I come to a passage that refutes something I believe to be true, I have no choice but to admit I'm wrong. And quite frankly, I don't trust any preacher or any minister that has been preaching for longer than five minutes that has never experienced being corrected by the Bible. If if you have begun your ministry and you believe the same exact things that you did when you started after you've been in it for 50 years and, and the Bible has never corrected you or grown you or developed you, it could be that you have become your own authority and have not been constantly renewed by the Word of God. See, we all need to be taught by Scripture, reproved by Scripture, Corrected by Scripture and instructed in righteousness by Scripture. And the Scripture is alone sufficient for all of these things. And lastly, without the Scripture, we would have no discipleship. No discipleship. Look at verse 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And then there's this parenthetical thought. Then he picks up in verse verse 17. Why did God inspire the scriptures? That the man of God may be perfect. Now the man of God here, it is a reference to every believer, to every Christian, but it is especially a reference to those who are called to minister the word. That is how the the term was used in the Old Testament. The man of God referred to the prophet. Pastors and preachers, though I don't particularly care in the New Testament to refer as the pastor as the man of God, But I think that is what Paul is doing with the usage here as he's writing to young Timothy. 
We've seen the power of the Scriptures in that they proclaim the message of salvation and the authority of Scripture as our final rule and practice. And now we see the great aim of the Scripture as perfecting those who read it, study, and obey it. Out of inspiration comes power. The idea of being perfected here is being complete. To be fully equipped with all the knowledge, all the spiritual graces that are necessary for serving Christ. That's what discipleship is. It is the process of being sanctified and conformed into the image of Christ that we might bring more honor and more glory unto Him who spoke to us in His Word. The Scriptures will enable you to perform all good works to the glory of God. Scripture will purify your heart and it will grow you in grace and godliness. As John Bunyan said, this book will either keep you from your sin or your sin will keep you from this book. It never ceases to amaze me um, as I have the privilege to pastor the sheep of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. never ceases to amaze me when I see someone that, that is hitting a rut and they are they're experiencing some spiritual problems and issues and and they simply recommit themselves to the scriptures they simply recommit themselves to the faithfulness of attending the lord's church and it's it's a it's it's as if the lord just somehow miraculously pulls them through but we know that he doesn't somehow miraculously pull them through that's how god works Through His Word. The power is in the Word. The power is in those who administer the Word to you. If you're looking for some kind of cheat code, some kind of hack, some kind of fast track to discipleship, you are going to be seriously disappointed. Somehow the faulty idea that, you know, the Bible is just what they need to begin the Christian life, but to progress in the faith, you need something else. Some secret pathway to spirituality. But the truth is, what every Christian needs is more of the Word of God. Whether you've been in the faith for five minutes or five decades, you need a greater understanding of the Word of God. I am thankful for all of the resources that we have. I love books. I love lectures. I love sermons. I love conversing with other believers. But these resources will only profit you to the extent that they magnify and explain and apply the scripture to your heart. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was one of the most prolific readers and writers in church history. He was known to read six meaty books a week. Some of us would do good to read six books a year. (laughs) Spurgeon read six meaty books a week. And yet Spurgeon says, visit many good books but live in the Bible. You must settle it in your heart that the scriptures alone are sufficient for your discipleship, that they contain all you need for life and godliness. Notice that perfect here in this verse means being truly furnished unto all good works. God has given you everything you need to live for his glory right here in the pages of the Bible. Question is, will you read it? Will you study it? Will you hide it in your heart? Will you obey it? Discipleship without Scripture fashions men after the image of the man who discipled them. But discipleship with the Scripture fashions men after the image of God Himself. In the Bible, we have the complete, ultimate, final, and all-sufficient revelation of God for all time. Because God has given His Word, we do not have the liberty to go on thinking what we want to think, believing what we want to believe, and living how we want to live. We do not have the right to autonomously govern ourselves. When God speaks in His Word, He speaks with a sovereign voice, and everything about us must be submitted to the Word of God. May God help us as His people to yield ourselves more and more to His Word. May we feast our souls upon the Scripture, knowing that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every mouth or by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I know a man who pastors a church in, in Georgia, and he tells rather a funny story about when, when the Lord first saved him, and he was working a job, 
and he would bring his lunchbox to work every day, and he wanted to evangelize his co-workers, so he would put his Bible in his lunchbox, and every day when they would all go on break for lunch, they would sit around the table, and they would say, Tommy, what did you bring for lunch today? And he would open up his lunchbox, and he would pull out his Bible, and he would say, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And there on his lunch break, he would begin to tell his co-workers about the goodness of God as it's found in the Scriptures. The truth is, brothers and sisters, if we are going to establish healthy churches, if we're going to build healthy families, if we're going to reach the next generation, if we're going to continue to minister the gospel with power and grace, if we are going to have a church that survives, we must rely on the sufficiency of Scripture alone because God accomplishes His purposes by the might of His holy and blessed Word. Understand, perhaps you're here and you've never heard the voice of God. And you, you've read the Bible, but you can't make sense of it. You can't get anything out of it. God's word has never come to you in power and in clarity. Let me tell you a hard truth. The problem is not with the Bible. The problem is with you. And if you remain dead in trespasses and sins, your heart will not receive the word of God apart from the regenerating grace of God. But may your frustrations cause you to beg and to plead with God for Him to send His Spirit to regenerate you, to birth you again, and to illuminate His Word, and to open your blinded eyes, that you may behold the wondrous things contained in the Bible. May you repent of your sin, and may you see Christ as He is presented in the Word. May you place saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christian, let me encourage you. If you are struggling in a particular area, uh, if you desire to be more gifted in a particular area, if there is something in your Christian life that, that you know you need to work on but you don't know how to approach it, approach it in the Scriptures. Approach it in the Scriptures. You have everything you need. God has given you a treasure chest right before you. Go to it. Search it out. Use resources to help you understand it, but don't use anything independently of this word. The scripture is alone for the salvation of every sinner, the edification of every saint. May God give us the grace to believe that and to live accordingly. Let us pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your goodness to us, for the word of God and all of its wonderful truths. Help us to hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you and to be re-encouraged by the promises that your word always accomplishes, that which you send it out to do. Teach us more of your word. Let us be people of the book. In Jesus' name we beg. Amen. Amen. Amen.